0: Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. You know, it's an honor. We, we get a chance to have this show to really disrupt common narratives and constructs. And I am with somebody that certainly does that. Uh, Lauren Milan, she I would call her a serial entrepreneur. Is that is that pretty, is that accurate?
1: That's what they say.
0: That's what they say. So <laughs> she she's, uh, doesn't allow stereotypes to define her. And she's done a lot of amazing things. We're honored to really have her on the show, and so just really want to get to it. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Rob. This is exciting to be here with you, and um, from the moment we met, I I gave you an instant yes, because how could could I say no to you?
0: Oh, well, I appreciate Um, that. And here
1: we are, so thank you for taking an interest in having me on Disruption Now.
0: No, thank you for coming on. Of course. Your first business, a lemon stand.
1: Yeah, lemonade, yeah.
0: Yeah, take yourself back to that. How old were you then? I was 11, 11. Take your, take yourself back to that 11 year old girl. Like, what did you want to be then? And what do you want to be now when you grow up? Cause we're always growing. You told me you're always in beta.
1: I am always in beta. Um, by the way,
0: she has a really great book. I forgot the, the path redefined getting there by getting there on your own terms. It's a great book. I've read it cover to cover and I do recommend <laughs> it. So
1: thank you. And I trust you've read it cover to cover. I have. Um, Can't you tell? I, I look. This is the warm up, and I already know you know everything, <laughs> everything, and then some. Um, you know, Lauren as the eleven-year-old girl was really much of who I am now. Um, I think without a lot of the uh, sophistication that life kind of forces us to rise up to. Okay. But those common tenets of being resilient and tenacious and driven and different and unapologetic about being different and, um, adventurous and a risk taker. Those have qualities and characteristics have always made Lauren, Lauren. Like if you went back to, you know, my kindergarten teacher, they'd be like, Oh, yep. That was that girl. That was her. You know, I was, I was that kid who just, who always had another question, you know? And I think A lot of the times when we're young, having, you know, always another question, depending on how you're raised or the school you went to, maybe that is nurtured. Maybe it's kind of hushed and silenced in some way. Um,
0: Yours was nurtured.
1: Mine was it was interesting. Mine was silenced at school, but nurtured at home, and wow. so yeah. I was I can the kid. To that. I was the kid who was like, "But I raised my hand again, and yeah. so why can't I have a second opinion or a third yeah. question, or why can't I be enlightened and have an aha moment now, or like, isn't this an evolution? Shouldn't right. I? Should you, you know, be able after, to ask a
0: question and challenge the teacher?
1: Yeah, or after you know. Maybe making one statement or asking a question, maybe somebody else says or does something that's revealed later on in the lesson or the day or whatever, I should be able to follow up on that if I want. And so I think it's that same constant curiosity that has made me great at what I do, because it's made me great at marketing and branding, but I'm only great at that because I understand people and I understand their motivation, I understand their why, I understand. Um, what makes them say no? I understand what might make them say yes, right? But it's through this constant kind of curiosity, which maybe sometimes is in a line of questioning in some way or, um, you know, an ongoing dialogue. But I was totally that kid. And I think more than anything, when you ask about Lauren then and Lauren now, what's interesting to me is how many of the people, when I look back on my childhood, that were either at my school or my camp or my after school activities that exhibited or displayed many of those similar characteristics that I did
0: Right.
1: who have gone on to be rock stars in yeah. the business world. Right. So like, I and mean, then all of the ones who like played exactly by the rules. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They're doing well, of course, you know, they've got a job and yep. they're quite stable, but the ones that are really the outliers, the ones that have gone on to have like hockey stick growth and tremendous success are, are the ones that, you know, always stood out from the bunch, um, right. good, bad, or indifferent. And so Um, I'm I'm grateful and I think I'm I'm really grateful and excited about what refining that as an adult has done for me. But did you know what you wanted to be
0: when you were 11? Did you have any idea? Did you have a target? Did Did you...
1: I did. I had a target. And in reading my book, you know, my target was to just be like my dad. And I thought yes. I wanted to... That's my next
0: question about what successful parents do Yeah, for you.
1: you know, I thought I wanted to... My idea of success as a child was like jet-setting. It was like, oh my God, okay, dad's here. And it was... The big deal was, you know, this is back in the day when like, you know they had the Concorde in my dad's era, right? Right. Like you'd go to London faster on the Concorde. There's obviously no Concorde jet anymore. So talk about disruption now, talk about innovation. Um, But I was the kid that was like, oh, okay. You know, I hear my dad's taking the Amtrak to DC for big meetings. Like I wanted to have a busy commute schedule. I wanted a briefcase. I wanted, I don't know, those, you know, those, those visions, um, the beginning of movies back in the day where there's always someone standing on like the train ledge and they had a briefcase and it was always this scene of like a fast train car going, shoop, and then maybe it would show you someone's like beginning of their day and their career. Like I right. always wanted that shoop, and like a big day. Um, and I didn't really know where it would be or, or how I would bring it to life. But I thought at that time that the roadmap was kind of following in my dad's footsteps and maybe going into investment banking. And cause that's what I had been around. Right. Um, and so I think that's obviously changed. Um, Quite I've a not bit. become I did none of those things in the way that I thought I would.
0: Isn't it interesting how you think the path is defined? It's always different than what you think it's going to be.
1: It's always different. Um, And I think I could have gone a lot of different ways. You know, my life has been um, untraditional in every sense of the word, professionally, personally, with motherhood. I mean, I feel like I've done so many things backwards. Right. Um, And not that they come in a particular order. What do you mean you did
0: it backwards? What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, I, I think that... Many of the stepping stones that a lot of people take to acquire their knowledge, to be able to have the sort of um, opportunities and and career experiences that they want, those steps I think I've done in the right way um, in terms of laying the foundation, doing them sequentially, whatever that should be, should should be in someone's eyes. Um, the ways in which I've done things backwards is because I've never allowed anyone to tell me, no, there are some things that I've accomplished early on that most people think I shouldn't have accomplished until much later in life. Um, case in point, a winery, right? Yes. Everybody I know is like, "Mm, you're supposed to go into tech and, you know, media first or venture first and make your money. And then you go have a winery. But Lauren, why did you do the winery first? Make your money with the winery, which was less money than you. You know would have made had you done it the other way right? right making your money in the tech or the media or venture space right. first so how was it lauren or why was it that you went into wine first and started a winery and yeah you made money great you made good money True. and yeah you had a great exit but then you went the more innovative route aren't you supposed right. to go like the other way like you started yeah. with grapes and then you ended with tech right. like right. how and why so things of that nature is what i mean so if there's anything that i want to do I, At heart, um, much of who I am is an opportunist. So it's yeah. like if I think that that opportunity exists to have it, I want it in my lifetime. I don't necessarily right. want it one before or after the other. Sure. And so um, I'm also accustomed to always building and going after more than one thing at a time.
0: Build right? the airplane while you're flying.
1: And so it's sometimes just a, a, a function of like what res- what responds in the universe to your efforts. Right. The quickest, the easiest, um, and it's also sometimes where your passion lies, or, and, and, or where the and, and people your are And your path is your life. path.
0: People say that you're supposed to go, A, B, C. Yep. There, so there is no A, B, C. No. Nope. There is no A, B, C. It depends on what talents and strengths you bring, your opportunities, what what happens serendipitously, as you say yeah. in your book, right? <laughs> I mean, you can't. Nobody else could have done that. Like that's what other people couldn't have done, maybe, but that's not your path. Yeah. So um, you, you talk a little bit about work-life balance, you talk about work-life integration, actually, yep. this all sounds good in theory, yep. right? <laughs> I wanna know really how it works, because how do, you, how do you do that? Because if you're in a moment, like, you know, um, one, one of my favorite books is uh, Essentialism, mm-hmm. and he talks about in the book, um, I can't remember the author's name right now, I think it's Greg McCohen, actually. He talks about, you know, you can't multitask, you can only, you can, you can multitask, but you can't multifocus. So how do you, if you're integrated, true question, like how do you, if you're home with your kids, emails come out, how do you give them your undivided time and not lose focus of thinking about everything else and not, and not necessarily being present in the moment? Does my question make sense? Yes. How do you do that with integration in that? How, do you, how, how does that approach work in real life?
1: So I have learned to prioritize what's immediate and what's not. And not everything is immediate. I talk about this also in the path you, you define, right? Like not everything, young Lauren felt and this was in the BlackBerry Pearl days, I had the red BlackBerry Pearl, and I would kill those keys. Oh, if it was an email, I'd be like... Um, But young Lauren felt that that always needed an immediate response. You email me, I gotta write you back. You know, quickly, right away, whatever it is. Um, More mature, wiser Lauren knows that some of those things are just an FYI, not all require my immediate response. Or if it, you know, is something that is going to... Um, that I think is really important. Maybe I should sit on it. Maybe I should marinate on it to have the most thoughtful reply or the most actionable reply. And like, what's 24 hours? That's okay. Right. Um, And so I think reframing what we think is immediate is important, first of all, both on our professional and our personal lives. I agree. Um, And also, I think... I'm really good at being focused even though I multitask. And so, yeah, you can't be multi-focused. And so because you cannot be multi-focused, it's important to be hyper-focused on what you're doing in that moment. And so I'm really good at being hyper-focused. And so the other thing that I've done is that back in the day, um, and I talk about this a lot, back in the day when I would get my kid's school calendar, I used to look at it and go, oh, okay, they have this odd day off or there's an odd parent teacher or something or whatever where there might not be school or a half a day and so I would look at that and go oh I want to do something with the kids so let me try to create my schedule so that I have more flexibility on this day right. to spend with them and I thought that was being a good mom right that that's not what they wanted on the day that they don't have school. On no. the day that they don't have school, they want to be with their friends. They don't <laughs> actually want to be with
0: them. <laughs> they don't want to be so, with friends. So, like, you.
1: I'm creating time and space to be yep. hyper-focused on them. And they don't even want you to do it. And, yeah, so I learned to also be a really good communicator with my children very early on, like at a very early age. I mean, from the time they were, like, one and three, we were having very mature conversations, two and four, even more mature conversations about, you know, what... What do you want from mommy? Right. You know, I have to travel. How can I make it up to you? Or this is happening. Like we have family calendar meetings where wow. we look at the calendar. Yeah. All of us, and we talk about what what's going on. What do they have? What is their school project? What's my son's soccer? What's my daughter's dance? What's my fiance's commitments? What are dinners or events? What right. board meetings do I have? And we create a family calendar of, okay, and these are times that are just gonna be really important to Jaden that we've gotta make it here, really important to Chloe, or really important to Ryan. So Robin, you have some, really that's
0: one. A, one of your non-negotiables. That, that one. is
1: one of my non-negotiables, a thousand percent. Um, and so in in being able to be hyper-focused, I've also become a lot better about kind of systemizing some things. Okay. Um, and so like email is one of those things. So. You know, I have times that I check email.
0: So how do you systemize? Tell me, how, how would you go about that? How do you systemize this for yourself so people can learn? Well, with the
1: exception of you today. Oh, thank you. I like to be the exception <laughs> to the rule. Yes. Because we were emailing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But with the exception um, of that. I like
0: to be the one exception to the rule. today. I,
1: I, I have designated times for my emails. You know, I have an early morning time. I have like my late morning, depending on what I have going on to make sure that there's been no material changes. Um, I have my midday check-in you know, we're all just kind of scan email, but I don't really intend to dive deep into it. And then I have my, like my evening end of day time to like sit down and really dedicate to emails, follow up, close out anything that needs my immediate attention. I tend to do that around, um, like the six to eight o'clock window or the six to seven 30 window so that I can make up for, you know, anybody on the West coast right. who might need to hear from me by the close of business. Um, But that's the best that that I can do, because otherwise you kind of look, and thanks also to to Apple and the iPhone, you know, we get to know how much screen time we have. So sometimes it's like, oh, great, and you look at the breakdown, what on earth am I doing? I've even put an alert on my phone for Instagram to alert me when I spent 30 minutes on Instagram for the day, cumulatively, right? It always alerts me, and I always just kind of ignore the alert and stay on Instagram, but it's, it, you know, but it's nice to know, okay, this has been 30 minutes for the day because you can get lost in some of these things. Uh, you I,
0: can't, I mean, and the goal is to get you lost. You know, there's algorithms that they know what they, they know what you want to see. Goal That's the goal is to get
1: you lost. But I also think that a lot of the, um, I can't call it difficulty, but I think a lot of the learning to navigate um, in a new way right now for a lot of business leaders, especially who are working in marketing, branding, who are in the innovation and disruption yeah. space, is like where where is your source of information coming from? Yep. And so because you work much like I do in this intersection of marketing, media, tech, storytelling, brand development, innovation, disruption, I have to read more sources yes, you do. than I ever have yep. in my entire career. And I love doing it, but it's also, okay, wait, but what's on Instagram? Because yep. now you've got IGTV and does yep. IGTV going to replace that podcast that I think yeah, is great exactly, that I should be exactly. hearing? And so now we go to trade papers, we go to news, we go to um, you know industry headlines, then we go to podcasts, we go to Instagram. We're looking at people. We're trying, you know, I'm looking not just for innovation disruption. I'm looking for trends forecast. I'm looking for, you know, the next micro influencer. I mean, there's so many places that I need to be.
0: We didn't get to that. What do you do day to day right now? I know you had several businesses. What do you do? you at the winery. You've sold that. Yeah. We'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing right now?
1: So I've had my marketing company now for 12 years. Okay. Um, and the company has evolved over the years. Um, but starting with my marketing company is really helping brands to create authentic, compelling narratives that help them drive a deeper connection with the consumer. Yes. Um, whether that is storytelling of the brand to connect to the consumer, whether that is storytelling of the consumer's story with the brand to drive longevity, loyalty, consumer adoption, brand awareness, but kind of working at that intersection. Sometimes it's crisis, right? right. Sometimes it's in response to something. Um, so you, do, you, do,
0: you, you, you can be Olivia Pope sometimes, you're saying?
1: A little bit, All I right. mean, in, in a lot of ways.
0: Without um, the drama. Yes.
1: I mean, look, in in a lot of ways, but I think it's important. I think we're entering a day and age where we have the connected consumer, right, who is is natively digital in so much of what they do, depending on who you're talking to, but the core of my work is in innovation and disruption and driving that sort of change, even in, in businesses and brands that have had very traditional, yet successfully very traditional approaches to to the way that they speak to the consumer, the way that they market, the way that they advertise, the way that they activate, um, the kind of experiences that they provide. But now it's it's taking that same level of personalization and tailoring it to the individual. Yep. And also maintaining the core tenants and DNA of that brand and what that brand stands yeah,
0: for. Yeah, I always tell, yeah, I mean, the difference now is that, you know, the opportunity and the scary thing is now you can have messaging that's. It's not one-to-many, it's one-to-one. You can make it specifically, particularly to that person, know their motivations, their fears, their behaviors, their pain points. If you're really good at what you're doing, that's what your message should be doing. And there's a lot of businesses, huge ones that are not even doing this, which is kind of amazing to me.
1: And I help help some of the best ones out there. Um, And it's a lot of fun, but it requires, you know, a lot of the reason that I'm brought in is because I've done so much, right? right? And so when you look at the big brands, as you say, um, many of them are pretty diverse these days. Yeah. They're either diverse in the customers that they serve or they're diverse in the products that they sell or the industries that they touch yes. um, or if they're vertically integrated and in all the different kind of points of the business that, that run internally to create the brand or the outcome that they want. Right. And so in order to be able to really do that successfully, you've got to be able to understand a wide spectrum of what's happening you know not just the market not just the consumer not just the product but all of it because all of it has a sort of applied science right you talk yes. about the algorithm but then we still have to maintain that human element you do and humans have to drive I the maintenance of the human I element I, I believe that there are a lot of people who believe that we can have you know technology maintain the human element we can have that. technology enhance you that's, know, the, that's
0: the point of technology.
1: Enhance. But we still need human-to-human human interaction, right? Um, and so it's funny because as a child, going back to my childhood, at the same time, or years before actually, that I had my lemonade stand, yeah. I was obsessed with the Jetsons. Okay. And I said, we're going to live like the Jetsons one day. And so to me, like... We're basically living like yeah, the jets, pretty close, and, except for the you know?
0: the cars flying in the air. We're about but, there, but
1: we're almost there. we No, there no, too. the technology exists. You know, we're almost there too, where where it's where it's for everybody. You right. know, um, and so that's what I spend my time doing. And yeah. because I've had the diversification of experience across my career, starting my first company, being the vineyard and winery, and creating a internationally award winning and recognized wine brand, right. then moving into my marketing company, then angel investing in tech startups, and starting my early stage. Um, venture firm, Gen Y Capital Partners, and learning—you know—early on, 2011, 2012, right. before we had technology startups in New right. York, before people believed—you know—when I started angel investing, people only thought of New York as the advertising mecca. It was right. like the brand where right. the advertisers are. This was not the place where people felt, believed, or trusted that technology and innovation and disruption could thrive. Let alone be created. And so we didn't have a name for it. Then there was no general assembly. There was no WeWork, like uh, so many companies I could rattle off that didn't even exist when I started angel investing that are now like at the center of entrepreneurship or at the center of, you know, what people rely on to help them drive innovation forward in their lives and in their business. And so it's been really, it's been incredible to witness the evolution, but to also be participant right. in that, like actively. And so I'm as much a student as I am a teacher and a leader. Uh, and that requires that I read a lot of sources, which no, I think absolutely. is like how we started this. Yeah. Um, but then from from starting to my Capital Partners, which was business number three and investing in these companies, it also gave me a really good understanding of what different startups need in different industries to grow. yeah. And you can apply, when you look at big brands, you talk again about big brands that are not embracing this, that's surprising I, I, look, to you,
0: right? I, I would argue most of them aren't. It, it's um, just just, just, to, just to switch a little bit. Yeah. In the car, I was in an Uber here, on my way here from the hotel. And we were just talking to the Uber driver. Yeah. And he, he was an earlier, he was an early Uber driver, I guess. And he before he worked for like a private, I guess car company, yeah. and he used to just take people around. And, he, and then he went back, he went to Miami, and then he saw that Uber was just everywhere, Uber, 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 and then he got on the app, said this is amazing. And he went back and talked to his boss, said you gotta start an app, man, cause this is got this Uber stuff is coming. The boss is like, I said, I said let me guess what he said. So the boss said, no one's ever going to want to replace an app. They're all going to want to be face to face. They want to know who their driver is. No one's going to want to do that. He said exactly what he said, (laughs) right? And then he finally started thinking about it. He said, well, it costs $10,000. He said, it would be worth your time. You know, long story bearable, the guy's out of business, right? Uh, He talked to another friend of his who did start an app, and he ended up partnering with Uber, and he's doing very well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I tell people the biggest risk you can do is not change. You have to, you're going to have to learn these new mediums, these new channels, otherwise. You're going to be out of business. I mean, yeah. every, everyone has said the same thing you were saying now, that no one's going, everyone's going to do as they're doing right now, and they're not. Yeah. I mean, let me just, um, how do you get past, obviously you've been very successful, but you talk in the book about getting past stereotypes. Mm-mm. Easier said than done, though, sometimes. How, how do you get past because, you know, you don't fit sometimes what people might think of as a, as a tech genius. <laughs> or as, a, as a person that can bring that I don't know the,
1: that I'm the tech genius but anyway the point, but
0: you, you know what I mean a person that you know is you're you're, you're very entrepreneurial savvy you know what yeah. you're doing you've had lots of you had lots of success but people rightly or wrongly have an image in their head and I don't, this is not just this is not white people only this black people have the image too of what a person in VC is it might be a white person it might be an indian person that people think mm-hmm. instinctively in their head mm-hmm. rightly or wrongly they might not see a person who's been in fashion and a model and younger, like, oh, to have this ability, how do, you get, how do you get past that? The person that is struggling with this that may not have those connections, but they have the will and the ability, what would you advise them?
1: Get your foot in the door. Um, I think everything in my career thus far has been a result of my own tenacity and my own relentlessness. Um, and that's probably why I've been an entrepreneur for most of my career, you know, is that I wanted opportunities that maybe other people weren't going to give to me. So yeah. I took the chance on myself. I was like, okay, well, if you won't believe in me, I'm going to go do it. Right. And if I do it and I succeed, oh, then you'll, you'll come following. You'll, right. you'll come back. You'll come back to look for me. Right. Um, and that's what I think it's been. I think that I always, um, I've done that so many times over that the people right. who watch and the people often who don't believe in you the most at the outset are sometimes the one who become your biggest champions. Yeah. Cause they're like, oh, okay. Well, I told her No. And maybe I was right, maybe I was wrong, but guess what? She did it anyway. Yep. And then she crushed it. And now I need to know and understand what she's learned in that experience right. or, or I wish I had told her yes right because I would have made 10x, 20x, whatever it was. Right. So many people told me no to like investing in a vineyard and a winery.
0: How many? What was the, how many notes? I honestly don't
1: even remember because it wasn't even cool to like, so now it's cool to count how many rejections (laughs) you've got. It was a lot. Like nobody was counting in 2004, how many rejections. It wasn't cute to count and keep a tally of all the people who had rejected you. And now it's a blog post on medium or something. (laughs) All the people who rejected me, look at how tenacious I am. That's not the world I grew up in. I grew up in the world.
0: You expect a yes.
1: You know, of not just I expect a yes, but I grew up in the world of if somebody tells you no, you don't want anyone to know that that person told you no. And you try to remind yourself that you weren't told no, even though you were, just so that you keep yourself in the mindset to continue to go after what you need. Now we're in this kind of, I don't so even know so what to call how, so it. So how, how, how do you I do think that? you need to coin this because... It, coin this, I okay. don't, No, no, I don't know what you call this, but um, we're in this day and age now where people are somewhat glorifying their failures glorifying their failures and it's okay. Right. But we are embracing it in a way that we've never embraced it before. Like like when else have we ever watched somebody fail and think that they're still a success? I mean, in the world (laughs) I grew up in, if you watch somebody fail, you think that they're a failure. I'm not saying it's right. right. I'm just saying that traditionally speaking, if somebody can't keep a job back in the day, then you're not employable, <laughs> then you're not great, then you're not smart, then something's wrong right. with you. Right. Now we're in the day and age with, oh, the person who couldn't keep a job, they go on to just be an entrepreneur and a consultant because they can't work for anybody and right. now they're a rock but star. But it's,
0: it's cool to be an entrepreneur right now, right?
1: It is very cool. But it's temporary
0: so, till you... And I so, so it, all of the pain right.
1: points, this is what it is. Actually, this is okay, what it is. Okay, I right. can't coin the term because this is too wordy, but this is exactly what it we'll is. We'll come up with it. It is that the pain points of innovation and entrepreneurship, the hardest, most humiliating parts of being an innovator of being someone who takes risks that no one else is willing to take is now becoming glorified, which is a good thing in many ways. Right. But it's also, it has, it's the flip side to that coin, which is that there are people who might not have the same level of persistence or resilience or tenacity who can't withstand that. And so it scares me and concerns me a bit. I talk about this a lot now, just personally amongst friends, because for the people who aren't built or wired that way, they read that and they're kind of given this false sense of confidence because you're like, oh, well, so-and-so was, I read this book and they were told no 99 times and they got their investor that was their lead on like the hundredth, the hundredth, what they thought was going to be no that turned into a yes. So then you have people who want to be disruptive and innovative who might very well have incredible ideas, um, but maybe a, a wrong approach or maybe not the right team or maybe not the right execution or implementation or a variety of, of of factors but now with that same narrative we're also empowering and inspiring and giving confidence to people who maybe still need to get it right
0: yeah no that's a, that's a really good point sometimes it's like
1: you, so it's kind of like this you, false you need like to this... actually
0: develop the skill set sometimes you need to take more time right before but you go out i think that, that we have mean?
1: more yes but what i'm trying to explain and i'm clearly not nope. doing a good job because nope. i've been trying to figure out how to re- how to succinctly describe this because on one hand you have people who take that and that's exactly what they need they're like great i needed to read that article i needed to read that book i needed to know from so and so that on their hundredth that their 99th no led to the hundredth person being a yes right, right. but on the flip side you have people that might read that and they continue going down a path thinking that they have something worthy of the yes at 100 that is not worthy of the yes at 100. But we have so much out there that's glorifying that's the great pain point. points and the hardships of entrepreneurship that so many people aren't now given the critical feedback that they need to improve to be better, to present their ideas in a more favorable light or a more compelling way yeah. to actually get the end result that they want and or that they might very well deserve.
0: Right, And so I guess so, I guess I, say, I have to say, I guess they're glorifying the rebellious nature without actually absorbing the, the other part, the listening, the, the developing the skills versus just, oh, it hasn't worked, just keep going down the same direction even when there are signs that you need to change direction because more often than not, you know, if you're, sometimes if there's a thousand no's, you might have a bad idea. <laughs> right, Or you need to refine the idea in such a way that you can get to yes, because if, you know, so I can speak from my own experience being in office, you know, if people hate the process of having to raise money, and it does suck, it's awful, right? You have to learn how to raise money and ask everybody for money. Not that different from running a business, actually. Yeah. But, you know, when you get used to that process, if, you, if there are people that can't raise money, you know, you look at them like, is that you can't get people to believe in you, so there's, there's an issue. Yeah. You know, um, so that there is saying something to the process that if you can't get enough people to invest in you, perhaps you need to you need to do something, change your approach, yep. change your change your strategy. But so I, I think you're right. People people are believing that okay, what, what I have to do is just believe in myself and it'll be all right and just keep charging forward. When that's not always the case, sometimes you need to change direction.
1: But sometimes the big crazy ideas that nobody believes in are the ideas that deserve to be heard, right? But it's hard. It's
0: It's a balance, right? It's very hard. It's a balance. You I know. don't know
1: that it's a balance because I feel like it's okay. not a balance. Tell but... me why. Oh, gosh. That's a deep one. Um, why? I mean, I feel as though, how do I put this? I feel as though the, I feel as though where we are right now with business And brands and where the consumer is with what they want in terms of convenience and service um, and what they expect from companies in terms of transparency and honesty. We want to know where our food comes from. Like we as consumers have the highest bar now against companies than we've ever had in history. Yes, 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 we do. Um, And so for the brands that need to make up for lost time or that are fighting for innovation and disruption in the future... Um, I don't think we can have a balance per se because the a balance in terms of like innovative, big, bold, risk taking, crazy ideas, it can't be balanced right. because the biggest companies that are already running like a fairly well oiled machine, they're working because they're serving a, a subset of the market that's been there for a while that's come to love and rely on what that company provides sure. but that's maybe not speaking to this connected consumer or the millennial or the consumer of the future and so I say that there can't be balance because we need to have a kind of over over indexed amount of big crazy bold ideas so to be able to move forward and make up for lost time so by way of example let's just take the 80s and this is just hypothetical maybe in the 80s each company needed, needed one big, bold, crazy idea every two years. So it was five every decade. then maybe you got to the 90s. Let's just assume it was we need one a year. So that's 10 in the decade. And then you got to 2000 and you needed two a year. If that was the case, let's just say hypothetically that was the math. Right. We need 50 a year now. Right. In one company, right? So we need a lot of big, crazy, bold ideas. So we can't, we don't have balance.
0: Okay, so so let me, let me, let me, let me tell you how because if
1: we have balance we okay. never we never catch up okay so balance with what, with what so what so what
0: what i'm trying to say is balance is there needs to be an approach to how one scales the idea let's say it that way yeah. because at times it, it's the it could be the greatest idea but there's also timing with the idea mm-hmm. so knowing how to ha- have a pragmatic approach to a pr- even the boldest ideas if they don't hit the right time it doesn't matter so i guess what i mean is that you know knowing how to have that approach and have that long-term approach but yeah. to your point <laughs> if you don't, uh, if I have to balance out, if I have to say which side you should lean towards, mm-hmm. it's disruption now. I mean, I, I believe, like you ideas. know, I think I think innovation is rebelling rebellion against the status quo, not accepting things as they are, mm-hmm. being willing to press for a better future. So if you don't, you'll end up like Kodak. You know, Kodak is a great example of what you just said, right, of what not to do in terms of innovation. They actually created the technology of Instagram. And literally didn't do it because they said, well, I don't want to create something that can get rid of my print business. They were right. Unfortunately, somebody else did. And now they're over. Right. So it's it's you're absolutely right.
1: Reminded me, I have pictures to print, actually. <laughs> I swear, <laughs> I swear, I actually have a box of beautiful frames that I've put up because I'm like, wait, my kids are growing too quickly. I need more family photos up. Yeah. And I've actually just said I want them up like on our stairs, Yeah, um, on the wall, which we don't have. Well, can, we don't I have just, family photos on the go, wall. We have just, them in the windows. Just,
0: you can just now go through Google and just print everything you have on
1: I on. know, but you know, somebody prints them. So. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> but what about like, so if, if, if I'm looking at you, Lauren, it looks like, you know, your life has been... You didn't, you didn't have any hiccups, you just kind of just lived a tale life without, I'm just saying from the outside looking in. But I think people also, while we've, people need to understand that there's also been struggles for you to get there, you know. Not that we should celebrate every struggle, but I think people, it's helpful to, for people to know that people are human. I tell people if you want to be successful, you do have to believe in yourself, be positive and all that. But you also have to embrace struggle because things are not gonna go I don't care what your plans are, they're not going as you Mm plan. I think you should have a positive, make plans, just know that it's not gonna go the exact path you expect. Mm -hmm. Can you think of a time when you've, people don't like me saying, some people said they hate it when I said failures, whatever you wanna say, setbacks that looked horrible at that moment. You're like, I don't know how in the world I'm gonna come out of this, but that ended up being something that set you up for a greater opportunity in life. Can you think of something specifically?
1: I can. Is that the follow-up you're giving yeah, me? Yeah, no, to I'm say waiting. Me. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the answer. like I'm like, are you gonna ask me to say what it is? I, I figured you were.
0: <laughs> I was waiting. I
1: wait. figured you were gonna ask because I thought you had a, like a pointed question. I was, That's the I, question. Was, I, was, I was waiting for like the and so.
0: You know what? So because I, you
1: read the book, so you know the answer. And I, that, you no, know? I
0: do know, but you know, I've learned. The Reason why I wait is because you get the most out of waiting. It's a trick you learn being a lawyer. You just you just stop talking.
1: Ooh, it's a deposition now. Okay.
0: There you go. Um, <laughs> but you get the most out of people. I just want, I just want the honest department. This
1: is a deposition on video, no? No, <laughs> no, this is a great
0: conversation between friends.
1: No, no, no. And I'm just um, listening. You know, my my biggest, I love lawyers, by the way. I was going to be a lawyer.
0: Oh, good. Most people don't say that. Most people hate lawyers. It's good. I'm glad you like lawyers. No,
1: I am. Um, I am actually like a, you know, they call me a, a, a moonlighting lawyer amongst my friends because I'm pretty good.
0: I can see that. I'm pretty good,
1: actually. Yeah. i got a lot of things done.
0: You're really good at details. You like detail. I'm really, I'm
1: really good. I know all the causes and all the lingo. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: See, Anywho. I'm more the visionary, actually. Even though I'm a lawyer, I'm more of the engineer on <laughs> the creative side.
1: I love it. Um... My life would have been different if I'd gone to law school
0: for sure. You made the right decision. We'll talk about that next. I
1: don't know. I don't know what I could do. Doing a lot of different things if I
0: was a lawyer. Right no, I mean I think lawyer. Uh, sometimes I mean a lawyer
1: with marketing innovation that could be a really bad right, combo. That could be like a really but sometimes dope lawyers when I say sometimes bad
0: restrict themselves to that because you don't think like a lawyer. You 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 know the inside, but you're also very creative. Lawyers. Oh, I think like a lawyer. Yeah, but lawyers think about the risk and everything. In I thing. do. Yeah, but you still do it though.
1: True, but with La- with very calculated decision making. Yeah. Some, yeah. Okay, we'll talk, we'll talk about that. Well,
0: good. No, um, that's good. I mean, that's good. I, I do it too. I'm not
1: getting out of your question. We're going to go. I'm going to go know, right I, into I was
0: going to bring you back. So I know you will. <laughs>
1: uh, the most difficult thing in my life that I've experienced. Because I
0: can tell you, you know what, one thing? Can I, can I, can I interrupt you? Please. Because I, I, I wanted to challenge something you said in your book because mm-hmm. I don't know if I agree with it. So it's, the, it's this part when you said, you know, people should never know what you've got what you've gone through. I only say that because I'm like, well... There are people that might be going through so much and think that nobody else has gone through this. And, and, I, and I think, okay, if I, for better word, I understand why everybody doesn't need to know mm-hmm. at certain times, but I do think, I share my story. You heard me share it and I'll, I'll share it again. I talk about having a learning disability, being failing the second and sixth grade, uh, I tell that story all the time, let those kids know like, these teachers telling you that you can't do it, trying to define you at second grade, sixth grade, eighth grade, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh-huh. Some of the most brilliant people in the world didn't go to college, didn't do well in high school. You don't have to be defined by your circumstances. You def- my mom told me you define yourself for yourself by yourself. Uh-huh. And I repeat that story not because, uh, you know, I want to just live that story over again because I don't live with the scars. I want to let everybody know if they don't have to. Mm-hmm. That's my whole point, And that you can come through this point in your life no matter where you're at. Mm-hmm. So when you're saying don't let people know so what you're going through.
1: If I may, I, I think that that was taken a bit out of context. Okay. So when I say that in the book, it is um, and it is still something that I believe, to yes. be honest. Um, but I mean that about when you are in something. Okay. In that moment, a personal tragedy or a hardship that I highly recommend, especially for women right. that they don't share it. it. doesn't mean don't share it with your friends. That's not right. what I mean. It doesn't okay. mean don't share it with your family. It doesn't mean don't go to therapy. It doesn't mean don't tell your pastor. Don't tell you. No, that's not what that means. Right. It means don't tell people who you want to work with or who you want to perceive you in a certain light because when you, as a woman especially, right. are going through a death in the family, an illness in the family, a divorce, something that is a tragedy to you personally, and that right. is defined differently by everyone. Absolutely, right? it is, yeah. That people then feel as though they have the right and the license to determine what you can handle.
0: Oh. So for me. That's true, you did say that, yeah. When
1: I was going through that's the most difficult part in my life, time in my life personally, I opted to not tell people, not because I was afraid or ashamed to share, yes. but because I felt that people would say, "Oh no, and you've got two children," and that people were going to make the executive decision on my behalf to say to, she can't handle anymore. To say to count me out without even considering me, without allowing me to count myself out. It's up to me to say Lauren can't handle this. I I got on the board at the Met, you asked me about that before the camera started rolling. I got on the board at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. In the middle of my divorce yeah. now would they have asked me if they thought I was going through a terrible divorce with two kids under two at home on my own running a business as an entrepreneur probably not I mean I don't know I'd have to no, go back and might. ask them hey if you guys knew this openly would you have still tapped me
0: they're, they're not going to tell or you or would you
1: have put me on a list and said let's consider her you well, know we don't want to over, overwhelm
0: her you with know this. and so and and I don't get the same and and, and to your point you know I, I wouldn't Cause I went through a divorce too and I've never heard too many people go through easy divorce. So it's a hard thing to do and I was in the midst of actually, I was chairman of the board <laughs> at the time and because of some other reasons like because some of my political enemies were going after me, I had to disclose what was going on and I probably i am not under the same pressures simply because I'm a man. They're like oh well he's a man and he could probably even though I had to take care of a kid by myself too. They think of, you know, you have to go through unfair stereotypes. So I get that. that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's And so unfair. I say that
1: to anyone, especially a woman who's right. going through something, because it depends. I mean, look, if you're the kind of person who can't take that pressure, if you can't go through tragedy and hardship and take on professional responsibility, then maybe tell them. But if you still want that responsibility, for me, work has been my escape. Yes. So work is what I love doing. Right. If I'm having right now, I'm in one of the best moods, moments, times of my life, my personal life, my professional life, my kids, I can tell my you home. See, you see like, calm. I am so good. Life is awesome. I haven't always been able to say that. Right. right. But even when I can't say that, I still love my work right. and I still find joy and excitement in my work. yeah. And so for me, that was my solace. Like that right. was my, like, that was my escape. That was the thing that kept me focused and not, getting sucked into oh whoa me, here's where I am. That was the thing that allowed me to keep my head high. I might come home and cry. I cried kitchen floor, bathroom floor, bedroom pillow in the shower, all that, right you know, but when I walked out the door, if I knew I had a meeting to go to, that gave me a, a, a feeling and a sense of purpose and excitement, um, to be able to contribute and to learn and to work alongside awesome people and do something new, do something different. And I didn't want that. those opportunities, that one, if I'm talking about the Met Board, or any of the other opportunities. Being asked to um, start Gen Y Capital, my third company, venture firm, happened at the same time in my life. Being asked to write a, a book that went on to right. become a best-selling business book, I got the offer to write the book when I was going through everything. Right. I mean, all of these things happened then that makes sense
0: that makes sense given the context of the book why that that makes sense yeah
1: and then later on when i revealed to everyone what it was that i was experiencing and going through a year and a half two two and a half years later the response the outpouring the love the support the vote of confidence from people was beyond right for me to be able to go to board members or meetings or whatever. And just, you know, it would come up organically in conversation. Right. There was no like major, you know, news, yeah. <laughs> news alert. It was not like a statement I wanted to right.
0: make. No, no one ever but wants to make when those statements. But people,
1: when people realized what I had gone through, they said, and you still gave us your time. You were still professional. You still came with fresh ideas. And no one could you tell. still, oh my God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like, I don't know if I could have done it. We're so grateful to you. And in one case, it was, and can you take on more responsibility? Like, right. are you okay with more right. now? Right. Because if you could have done that, this, what you did, while you had all these other things going on in your life, imagine what more you could do. So, um, that is just, you know, there's a lot of women that I've heard from. So again, just being kind of putting that in a, in its own little compartment. That no,
0: no, comment. I wanted to, it's, it's, I have to comment because I wanted so to, many because it stood who, out to me. I wanted to just, and I expected to, to get the, to get to get this I, I knew you would say something I, I suspected you would have a very detailed answer on that because I can tell there was a lot going on from that context that was you explain a lot of stuff but I yeah, thought but I, the I amount more. of
1: women that I've spoken to or met at conferences over the years or that have dm'd me on social media that say you know I uh, was taking care of a family member and I was out on FMLA and um, women have to take know, care of
0: more I can say this honestly women take on way more of a burden than men do.
1: A thousand percent. There's a lot of women who have been out on leave for themselves, for a family member, whatever it is. And I've gotten messages going, oh, I'm returning to work. And there's another job, another role that I want to apply for internally or something. And they don't get it. And they don't get it because they haven't been at work, and people think that they can't handle yep. it. And it's like, oh, they're coming back, and we're going to ease them in, and you know. Which I think so,
0: that's inherently unfair in itself, though. I just I know we can't change all. It's these unfair, issues.
1: but until we can change all the issues, right. there are ways that we can learn to navigate them better. So that, Fair. for me, there you go. was my like that makes sense. That was my life hack. Yeah. Right. Was don't talk about it until you're over it. That's your life hack. That. Or you've gotten or, or accomplished what you still wanted to be able to accomplish. Right. right? Um. You know, it's unfair in that way, but it doesn't have to be. And it doesn't have to be because we determine how much we choose to share. Bottom line.
0: Yeah, that, that actually, boom, that was a mic drop moment. Okay. You, could just have, <laughs> you, just, you just dropped the mic on my head. That was good.
1: Um, but I still, I'm not ignoring your initial question, which was what was the thing that was the hardest for me? And it is no surprise to anyone who's listened to me, heard me, been following me, whatever. My divorce was the most difficult part of my life. Um, hands down, most difficult thing I've ever had to do was to immediately overnight learn to become a parent to, you know, a six week old child and a 23 month old child when I was 24. That is hands down the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Right. Uh, and to navigate, you know, schooling, um, to navigate it just, I mean, and you asked before, how has that contributed to who I've become as a business person? It has given me the thickest skin possible. One thing that stood out to me that I will never forget um, is that I was going to look for schools right. for my son when he was in kindergarten, but I was still divorcing, right? And right. So I was still legally married. Yes. And um, so I was just, you know, I would call girlfriends. I'd call to the nursery school and I'd say, "What box am I supposed to check on the application? And is this is to check single. Is yeah. a check married. I check divorced. Like, because he's not coming to the interview. He's not showing right. up. He's not, you know." So I knew I was doing this all by myself. Like, right. that was clear. And one of those kind of thick skin creating moments was going in for a school interview for my son for kindergarten at a posh private school that I was actually very interested in. And there's two seats and then there's the admissions director. Right. And they said, you can put your stuff there. But if you had a husband, he'd sit there. Why now? Yeah. Okay. He said there was two seats. I'm in the admissions director's office.
0: So you didn't go to that school, did you? Heck no. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, and I said okay, and I'm just going to put my belongings here, right. you know. Uh, and that was the moment when I realized I was going to do and I could do everything that two parents could do for two children. I, as one individual, was going to do it for my two children. It wasn't wow. going to be there at that school, but I was going to do it. And um, funny enough, that school has asked us to come again, like right. they've asked us to come back and they followed Jamie, blah, blah, blah. And they followed Chloe. Well, no, we're not going there. No. Um, but learning to navigate, especially as a young woman, and there's many, you know, pros and cons to divorcing young if, if one has to ever divorce, but you know, I think I would say
0: it's a, it's, sorry. Yeah. You should divorce. It's better to get it done earlier than well. later. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. you
1: know, um, I would say that the pro is you you can be resilient right. and you can really take those tough moments and you can still like you know implement changes to how you approach people right because you're still like in this right responsive sure. nature because you're young so it's just like what you do right it's like yeah. your reflex like your reflex is somebody pokes you you, you flex like you, you know yeah. as you get a little older somebody pokes you when it hurts you know yeah. it's just it's a different it's a different way to flex your resiliency and so i say Having that experience early on forced me to do a lot, forced me to learn how to become hyper focused. We talked about earlier forced me to um, learn how to compartmentalize, forced me to learn how to what was important, what was immediate, right. was what was not um, forced me to structure life in a way that allowed me to become much better at how I structure business right. simply because I needed to learn to structure my life better, so that I could do business better. Um, So all of these lessons, I would have never learned another
0: way. I wonder how uh, sometimes with our past, when we have things that go wrong or they're painful, you know, it can be great because we can learn new lessons. Sometimes I say people overlearn some things and they become too focused on things that went wrong. So how did you, how did you prevent yourself from not becoming, I guess, jaded or not becoming just like just letting that build up and become bitter in terms of your, your future approaches to relationships. Clearly you've, you've, things are going well for you personally too. How did you not let that experience affect future experiences? Cause I think people can't get caught up on that.
1: So I think another one of the, um, another one of the pros. In experiencing divorce early, um, is that you realize how lucky you are to still have your, your freedoms in terms of time Right? Yep. And so I've watched a lot of my dearest girlfriends um, work really hard to establish themselves in careers that can take them really far, that can change their lives, their children's lives. And I've watched many of them have to decline opportunities to move their career ahead because they're divorced and they have some sort of custodial arrangement or, you know, difficult other co-parent or one who's not flexible and even in the in the instances where the co-parent is not difficult i have friends where it's like the dad is great or the mom is great because i've I've heard this on both sides right i have guy friends that are 50 percent of the time with their kids like straight down the middle right Right. and they get an opportunity elsewhere for their career too and they can't go so it's not Mm. just women right and it's not just the parents who are difficult it's also the parents who are very involved who are like but i really but i really want to see billy 50 of the time And and they can't. And so to me, um, the amount of people that said, oh, I'm so sorry early on. Right. By about a year in, when I had sole custody of my kids, I said, I'm actually so grateful that they're not old enough to remember how painful it was for me and that they're not old enough for me to have. Of course, we did some therapy and these sorts of things, but the pain was different for them. It was more a void of a place that they saw filled by other people when they went to school or the right. park, but not necessarily they were so young. So it wasn't a void that they felt was, was uber present in their own life because it wasn't something that they had real recollection of. Right. I mean, my son a little bit more than my daughter cause he was almost two, but still they were so young that the blessing in large part is that this is kind of all they've ever really known. Right. And right. like the more the years go on, like, Mommy is all they know. So when they're five, it's like, okay, well, Jaden, you know, they've been a single mom for three years out of the five. Well, now it's, I've been a single mom for 10 years out of right. your 12. It's just so different. Um, it is so different. And for my daughter, six weeks old, I mean, like, it's been, it's this, just is our experience. this is it for yeah. her. Um, and so to just to know that I have that control over my life and our life, because I think one of the most difficult things to do as a single parent is to feel as though, you're raising your child in one way that gets turned upside down when they're not with you. Yeah, yeah, that. I get that. Whether that's routine, whether that's homework, whether that's religion, whether that's tradition, whether that's language, whether that's rules at home about shoes off or shoes on. I mean, it could be whatever because I was also a stepmom in my past life. So I've lived... Are every you? side wow. of this coin. You have. Wow. I was a stepmom to teenager. Well, they were eight and eight and eleven when I when I met them. But then they became obviously teenagers. And, wow. Um, so I've lived kind of every side of this. This you lived a full Parenthood, life. singlehood, you know, motherhood, single parenthood.
0: You got it all. Coin.
1: Um, but I think in all of it, I've, it's taught me how to navigate, and it's taught me how to navigate people. It's taught me how to navigate process, um, and to one of your earlier questions in terms of like you know how does it feel to kind of always be different i've been different in everything i've done my entire life right for being tall for being too skinny with big feet for being an only child when everybody else had how siblings how tall are you by the way five eleven and a half
0: yeah for a tough woman um yeah.
1: you know but chloe is 10 this weekend and she's wearing a size eight women's shoe i was nine wearing a nine woman shoe right so right. i was that kid who was like super skinny with big feet of course i grew into my feet but or yeah i guess uh, i grew into my i wasn't skinny but i had big um, feet too i was a big kid my yeah. feet my feet kept growing a bit because now i'm an 11 but so be it um you know they'll shrink soon you get older than they shrink but
0: <laughs> might, yeah well as you get
1: older your feet shrink don't they get smaller again
0: i don't know I'll take your word for it. You read more to me, maybe. I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, um, I'm going more hereditarily. So at least my grandma's feet are shrinking. Yeah. My nine-year-old grandma's feet are shrinking. So at some point, they'll shrink again. But, but
0: I want to I switch gears really quick. Yeah. So you, your friend, Seth Gordon, am I saying his name right?
1: Um, Seth Godin.
0: Gordon. Yes, yes sorry. Seth, Seth Gordon. He told you about, I guess, ignoring your fear. And it grows in strength if you ignore it. Yeah. What fear did you have that before that advice or maybe you still have that you need to acknowledge that you're always working to get past?
1: Uh, oof. It, it depends on the room. And at this point in my career, it depends on...
0: What's the first thing that comes out in your mind? First thing when you think about that you
1: Being respected for my work and for what I can contribute. I can contribute.
0: see that, I can see that.
1: But it depends now at this stage of my career that's not always as much of an issue as it might be just kind of hierarchy within a company or some kind of, you know, just other, other kind of matrix, right? Like there's always a matrix to something, um, when you're dealing with big brands and big companies and big teams. Um, and so being able to come into something that has, already been in existence before you arrived and being able to have your ideas and your opinions um, heard and at least heard and hopefully maybe implemented or to be able to provide that kind of support. Sometimes there's a little more pushback when you don't come from quote unquote within, right? Like you haven't been there the whole time. Um, And so navigating that, I get a lot better at navigating that, but that's certainly something. But I think that's true of most people who have worked in a consultative nature like when you work work in that way and you're brought in to be an outside perspective for any reason even if it's not to even if it's to help provide more fullness it's still somewhat seen as a threat to the people who are there on the inside because it's like oh why are you coming from the outside everything's good on the inside so this sort of thing but i don't think that it is um i don't think that i'm singled out in that way I don't think it's a a female thing, a woman thing. I don't think it's a race thing. I don't think it's a, you know, I think it's just the nature of the beast. Um, I do hope that it's going to change in a lot of ways. I think it is changing in a lot of ways. But I think especially if we're talking about disruption, disruption now, um, pun intended, and talking about innovation, um, a lot of that is by having a more inclusive thought process and making sure that you have the right, Variety of ears and eyes it's hard to have and an voices, it's hard. ears, eyes, and voices at the table, right? But
0: you have to be willing to challenge yourself, right? And a lot of a lot of people, if you're if you've been successful, yeah, it's hard to challenge yourself because you're like, hey, take the Kodak example said earlier. We've been successful for 80 years. Who are these other people to say we should be doing these things? We know what we're doing, and so to that point, let's say you, you know how hard it is to get others when you come from the outside. How about you? When how do you keep yourself self-aware I, uh, one of my definitions of self-awareness there are several but one of them are being able to take advice from people that actually wound you with the truth and are able to tell you things how do you how do you allow yourself to be i guess for people to give you constructive advice given that you have so much success how do you how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you prepare yourself for constructive feedback
1: <laughs> uh- I'm always prepared for constructive feedback. I love it, actually. Um, I talk about this. You know this, though. You know that I like this. Um, well, I'm bringing it up. I, I love it because I think it's important. I think that the more constructive criticism we hear, the more feedback we um, receive, whether we agree or disagree with what people say or think, it helps to provide a perspective of what other people might see or think. And if you keep hearing similar feedback or similar critique then it's at least worth saying, oh, okay, well, it's really coming off this way and I don't want it to. And you can choose after intaking all the information, right? I always like to intake all the information. doesn't mean that I have to use it and that I have to, it has to contribute to my output, but I always want to hear it. I always want to at least know it for the most part. So I guess my
0: question is, how do you set up the environment for that to happen? Because you're the boss, you walk in, people are going to want to please you generally it's you know because you, you you've been it's a at really, it, right really so so how do you how do you invite people to say challenge what i believe i don't know is there is there is there, is there things you do do you set up a process in the meeting what do you yeah. do to empower so the your process people? is that i don't do that okay
1: because people don't to your point they don't really want to challenge me unfortunately no, i wish I people would want to challenge me more um and so instead of making it about me i make it about the process okay so it's not about hey well challenge me or give me this criticism or feedback i make it about the project i make it about the campaign i make it about the narrative i make it about the customer i make it about the story i make it about the issue at hand the initiative at hand and where i think there might be holes or where i think we have room for improvement or room for a competing counterweight or where that feedback feedback might be helpful in refining the approach or the implementation or the experience for the customer the consumer the brand whatever it might be but i pick it apart and I, I don't, I don't make myself or my idea the focal point. How do I make you, the can project?
0: I, can, I, can I ask? Just this is for me. Yeah, for me, maybe for other people that had the challenge, who's been in charge of things. Because I find, I find it hard. Because I, I, I try my best, but you know, I have an ego. I try to acknowledge that. How do you, how do you keep that? from making it about yourself when it shouldn't be and keeping it focused on the project when, you know, you'll have confidence and you might project things in a certain ways. Is there anything you, you do for yourself to say, okay, I need to make sure that before I talk about this, I need to measure what I say. Is there some process you go through when you are doing this? I'm, I'm really asking for myself because I, I like to get, but I don't think, I think this is an area that I need to develop in.
1: Yeah, so I think it's a little bit easier in my case because most all of what I do 85 90 percent of the time is consumer facing right Right. or for a b2c company so it's never about me right it's always about the customer the consumer their experience their understanding their awareness their loyalty so i literally remove myself from the conversation so i might say i think this i think the customer might want this but what is it that you think you 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 have a different opinion so tell me what you think not do you disagree with me But what do you think? I think the customer needs this. What do you think the customer needs? And what do you think the customer absolutely doesn't want? And then I can just share my feedback the same. But it's a little bit different when it goes from a here dialogue, you know, me and you. um, So take it out to the customer. Exactly. Not
0: between us, but between. To us
1: talking about the person that we're serving and the solution that we wanna create. So that makes it a lot easier. No, that makes sense. Um, I think that when I do ask for feedback though, I ask to people who I look up to professionally right? Um, because those are the people, but it's still difficult sometimes to get constructive feedback even from them. But I, I literally tell people that they have a license to, to give it to me. right? And people who know me know that I mean that and know that they can really say what they feel and what they think and that I'm going to really listen. Might may, like it, might not like it, but I'm going right. to listen. I'm not going to, you know, my response is going to be the same no matter right. what. Maybe I become really introspective. Maybe I say, okay, I really need to go change some things. Or maybe I say... Okay, great. Glad to know you feel that way, or that's awesome, amazing. But I, I actively solicit that feedback, but I solicit it from the people who I feel are going to, who are going to give the advice, right. um, and who I feel have the qualifications to give me that advice. Yeah, you
0: don't. You don't take. I think it was Eric Thomas said, you don't take constructive <laughs> criticism of people that haven't constructed anything. So that makes sense. There you
1: have it. <laughs> there you
0: have it. Um, you talk about, well, there's one thing in the book, you say anybody you introduce to your network is a reflection on you, and so if you're not sure, don't do it. I feel like there's a story to this, and, I, and to, to the extent you're comfortable, I'd love to know like what lesson you learned from that. It sounds like, it's happened to me before, where I've introduced somebody and it didn't work out as I hoped. Was there something that happened and that you can share so to the extent you're comfortable?
1: I mean, things happen all the time. There's right. no, like, big aha moment. I think people are always really bold. I think, you know, I, often it happened this week. I met somebody at a wedding a few months ago. Um, they happened to be seated next to me to the left of me at the dinner. Right. I don't really know this person. They pinged me on LinkedIn. Okay, great. Awesome. happy. To, you know, right. great. Like, we don't, we don't work in the same industry. Probably we'll never work together, but really nice... Nice person, happy to connect. Uh, Friday or Thursday, I got a LinkedIn message saying, I see you're connected to so-and-so and and we want to have a program with him at our company. And this person runs a program at another big multi-billion dollar multinational company. Right. And I said, you'd have to send me a proposal or something. And and I can't just, you want me to make an introduction? I met you at a wedding once. I've never spoken to you. I didn't even have your phone number. I didn't have your email. We're just connected on LinkedIn. I've never spoken to you aside from asking you, how do you like your, you know, your chicken dinner or steak dinner? And, you know, how's your food? And, you know, can you pass the bread basket? Like we didn't have any meaningful exchange. I wasn't enlightened. I didn't have an aha moment, you know? So likewise, likewise, I don't think he did either. Right. We were just at this wedding sitting, sitting next to each other. So that to me was like, okay, interesting. Right. So I just think that those things should always be reciprocal. Now on the flip side if that person had contacted me and said, Hey, can I have a call with you? Can I have lunch? Can I, you know, meet with you, chat with you 15 minutes of your time? I want to explain something that we're doing. It's really awesome. And then said, you know, I'm wondering if anyone you're connected to, or I see you're connected to so-and-so might be interested now that you understand our vision and you seem to like it and believe in it if I like it and believe in it. But right. he didn't have my buy-in. He had no buy-in for me whatsoever right. um, to be connected to someone who's, who's pretty important and has a big job right. and like a big role and is a very good friend. But I also recognize my connection there and my kind of power, if you will, in sure. that scenario, which is that I have a friendship with that person. Sure. So, yeah. so they can be emailing them for months to try to get a 15-minute teleconference. It may never and I can text them and get a reply within an hour or the, by the end of the day. Yeah. So to me, having had that friendship, I value that friendship more than anything. That makes sense. And you know, I've, right? had,
0: I've had that, ex- like running for office, I've, I've taken the approach of developing relationships as long-term. And sometimes, often there's never anything that comes out of it other than just a relationship. Um, it was challenging, and you, you talk about this in your book too, but it was challenging when I actually needed something for relationships. Because when I ran for office, it was really the first time in my life where I needed so many different people in order to succeed, right? Mm-hmm. But technically, we probably all need a lot of people to succeed, but it was never to this point where I had to depend upon so many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of people that you know I had done stuff in relationships for, a lot of it was not reciprocated. And yeah. But it might
1: have been, I mean, who knows? Right. But if you ate up all your social capital, yeah. making introductions for other people, when it came time to you, yeah. You might have been a little tapped out,
0: right? Right. All right, but you know, but you know, these are like you're right, but but a lot of people did do things for me too, so I, I don't hold on to that side. There's lots of people that raised an extraordinarily uh, large sum of money and made a lot of connections, but I do say you do have to be. I say all that to say when you make relationships, they're long term, and you actually I try to go out and invest in invest in people, and not always there's not always a return, and sometimes there is, uh, but generally that's served me well because people. I think if you're giving spirit, eventually it comes back. But
1: I, I think it's a bit of this, um, you know. It's like Dear Miss Manners. It's like we need digital etiquette, you know. In yeah, my we opinion. do. We do. This is something I've been talking about a lot. That's a like, good
0: point. There needs
1: to be like an update. Yep. You know, there needs to be like Emily Post was cool for like how to write letters and yep. RSVP cards. We need a like a Dear Miss Manners yep. digital etiquette. And So digital etiquette.
0: That's a great point. Is
1: not pinging somebody you met once at a wedding. You know, and and this is like he just sat next to me for dinner. This is not like, oh, we smoke all night. No. So (laughs) digital etiquette is like, no, you don't go to my LinkedIn. He actually made me go hide all my connections after because I was like, you know, I don't uh, I don't want people mining my my connections in my network that I find really valuable because I care about the people that I'm connected to that makes sense. You know, even because I also would have done it for him, for the guy who made the ask of me. I like a digital
0: if, etiquette. That's a great idea by the way. If somebody
1: hey, hey. If somebody, you know, had reached out to me wanting to to get a hold of this gentleman, right? And I didn't know them and it was the same, hey, I see he works over here and I want to have a partnership with his employer, or, you know, the company he works at. I would have done the same thing. Well, wait. I don't really know you, and I don't really know him that well. And but the point is, you still have to. Let's make sure that right. it's
0: mutual. Let's it, make sure. You got to develop the relationship. Like it's not. I think people, particularly younger generation, think that you know, okay, because we have email, because we have this instant way of connecting. I can just boom. Like there's actually still you have to develop the relationship. Yeah. You still have to talk to people. You still have to understand where they're coming from. This is not. You know, it can enhance your relationships, but it's not a replacement for them. Yeah. I mean that's what yeah, so it's a good idea. Digital etiquette. There you go. But
1: I had to tell my grandma recently about digital etiquette too. So, you know. Your,
0: your grandma? I did. Why tell your grandma about digital etiquette?
1: Because my grandma, I love her, bless her heart. She's so proud of me. Yeah. She's so proud of me. A lover. Yeah. Um I love both of my, gra- both of my grandmas are alive. Thank God.
0: Yeah. She's um, very lucky. But my my are, dad's
1: mom, I love her, bless her heart. But she is, she is the social butterfly of LA. So she is, um, 89 and just, she knows everybody. And so whenever anybody
0: says they're coming to New York, grandma's always been like, baby so-and-so going
1: to New York you gotta you gotta talk to my granddaughter and that's always been grandma right, right? because I'm her successful yeah, granddaughter, she's who she's proud. so proud of she's who proud. lives in the big city in New York and it's awesome right uh and so recently some people came to New York and my grandma gave all three of them a phone number
0: yeah I think <laughs> and, it, I think her grandma's gonna do that anyway so that's the old school I
1: said, <laughs> I said grandma um this is awesome, but who is this? So I called her and then she'd even forgotten who she gave my number to. Literally, this is how many people grandma knows. She goes, oh, that cat. No, this is a different cat. That's a, not, that's a Catherine. They call a cat. So I said, grandma, next time, can you please give me a heads up? Like, I know yeah. you're going to do this anyway, right. but can you just let me know?
0: Yeah, my, um, I think family does that.
1: You know, because I started getting these text messages going, yep. hi, you haven't responded to me.
0: Yeah. Your grandmother said you're supposed to. What I found, your inner circle, I think, is the most important one of the most important things you can do in your life to be successful, whether it's an entrepreneur, whether it's period, uh, kind of having a healthy life. you know, There's actually been studies that that's shown that people rewire how you think. So the people around around you, that you put around you, science has now shown that they literally, you are rewired towards their thinking. You may think that you're pushing back, but if you're around people enough, you're going to conform to the group one way or another. (laughs) How do you go about two questions? How do you go about choosing friends, and mm. and this is the bigger challenge. How do you because all of us have had it? How do you move yourself out of toxic relationships and and I'm not just talking if it's a romantic one because that's 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 an easy one, but often some of your. Toxic- luckily,
1: I don't have those. <laughs> I don't have those anymore. <laughs>
0: Everybody's had, like, boom, well, boom, boom. yeah. yeah well. Knock on wood or whatever we got. Yeah,
1: <laughs> for Micah, but like, yeah, yeah. yeah no, 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 no more toxic. No more, but no, inter, but, interpersonal romantic relationships. But but
0: you know what? But there's a lot of people don't see the other one. Sometimes the toxic relationship can be your sister, your cousin, the friend that you've had for 20 years, and you know, there's only two types of relationship: either a relationship, uh, a relationship that actually you grow from, or one that takes from you. At least that's what I've seen. I don't usually see anything in between. Have you gotten to a point where you've realized there was a toxic relationship? How do you, how did you have the power to move yourself out? Because often it's very hard to do. At least I found it's hard to do.
1: It's a touchy subject right now. Uh, <laughs> well, we like to, we, well, we just like to, because I think the point. I
0: like, like we have. No, no, a, no. It's, it's a great. It's
1: a great question. I think it's interesting because younger Lauren um, was was so straightforward that some people might have even taken it. As like confrontational you know because I was just like I just have to say what I feel um, that was 10 years ago plus you know more mature Lauren says there's another way to accomplish the same end result Yeah. so think of the end result if the end result is removing yourself from a toxic relationship does it really serve you to tell the person and to remind them to basically exacerbate the situation by reminding the person of how toxic they are to <laughs> your life and that you won't be interacting with them anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like that's just going to make your life more toxic. Because right. then you got to handle and deal with the
0: you're feeding. You're feeding into the toxicity. In yeah, you're,
1: you're feeding the fire. Like you're completely, you're feeding the beast. You're flaming the fire. So for me, my answer to that, um, and it's not to be passive aggressive actually at all. It's just in finding the smarter way to accomplish the same end goal. Right. And so when I find myself in this Types of situations, I simply remove myself from them. If I can remove myself from them immediately, I do. If I can't, then I very swiftly and intentionally distance myself. Whether that is slowing down, almost like a game of tennis. Tennis is fresh on my mind since you know yeah, we just Serena up, almost just wrapped moved. up the U.S. Open, and I'm a big tennis fan. And went to the, went to the open. I'm a big Serena
0: her. fan. I wanted her to pull this out, but go ahead. Sorry.
1: I know, me That's too, dangerous. me
0: but
1: too, go ahead. me too. Yeah, um, but I think the analogy that I wanted to use is in slowing down the game, right? And so I've learned how to slow down or speed up the game, the communication, the interaction. And so for me, it is slowing that down. So some of my most, um, kind of toxic, if I have to call it that relationships are sometimes ones that start off feeling really good because they're really high touch. Then the high touch, turns into high need. And then that high need turns into high requirement. And then high requirement Mm -hmm. turns into high expectation, high want high desire. Then it turns into do and it snowballs. Right. And so what do you do? Like you need to then stop the snowball, which just means translation of that is slow it down, right? Slow down time. And then you can distance yourself. So for me, it is that sometimes it's just slowing down communication, slowing down my responses, you know, somebody who you're accustomed to texting, who writes you back immediately, who always has their phone in their hand. And then all of a sudden they take an hour and then all of a sudden they take half of the day or six hours. And then all of a sudden, you know, they take an hour or, right, excuse right. Me, a day and then maybe a couple days, you know, you just, you just begin to kind of create a space. And so right. I've learned that you don't always have to tell people what they already know right like people can feel your energy more than anything so is there a need to tell somebody that you plan to distance yourself from them no they're gonna feel it they're gonna feel it um and maybe they'll come to you and they'll ask it but by the time they've recognized it and they come to you to ask it they've already had to go through their own motions. so they come to you with a different a different attitude and a different tone than they would if they felt so much on the defensive
0: does that work for family too um, I,
1: it, it does for me Okay. for the most part um, with the exception of I've got um, one difficult
0: one, I, I, I've got I,
1: one really I, difficult I, outlier yeah. who's just everybody like in did, your face every, no matter what everybody's got one that.
0: everybody has one uh, it was interesting how you said though slowing down time uh, what, I, what I hear you saying and maybe I'm projecting but it sounds like you, you, you find a way to remove your emotion from the situation 10,000% yeah which is I gotta tell you it is hard to do that I've I'm the same I'm the same as you like whenever I felt a certain way my natural disposition is to tell you how I feel like I'm not really I'm not a person that tries to filter things but I've learned that's not always the best approach (laughs) because you know I feel like I'm being honest and direct but sometimes it could just be annoying and sometimes just not effective for the situation so I've learned that since I am I lean on the side of communication that I don't have to work hard to make sure my point is proven so I, 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 I think to your point, I try to go the other direction because I already know I, I lean in that direction.
1: Well, I also think that people who people who already speak your language will understand what you are saying. Correct. Right? So if you're trying to be direct and to the point with someone who doesn't speak your language,
0: they see you alre- as offensive. There's
1: already a disconnect. Yep. Um, someone who's already on your level, speaking your language, in your orbit you know, similar lingo, some similar thought process, similar experiences, you can be that Frank with exactly. that, I hope. No, you can, um, you're right. And for the most part, you know, at least for me, you, you can, but, um, but
0: you can't treat everybody the same cause everyone's not the same. Everyone's not me. Yeah. Everyone doesn't have my same approach. Everyone doesn't think about things the way that I do. And I've had to learn to appreciate that. So I do. And, and I, and I had to realize that sometimes the reaction wasn't always them and, and, you know, you can't control what somebody else do, uh, does. What's most important is what you learn from the situation and what you can do, what you can control, because you can't control somebody else's reaction. A
1: thousand percent.
0: Yeah, and I had to learn that because I, I, I always, I, I used to try to just say, okay, maybe if I come at them this way, they understand where I'm coming at. if I come this way, sometimes it's just Sometimes about- they
1: just don't want where you're serving you
0: know sometimes it's just
1: that simple sometimes
0: it is it is so you know a couple of like i have rapid fire questions so oh gosh yeah they're good they're good they're good i promise so uh let's say you have a committee of three living or dead They can be fictional if you like that are your team of advisors on life on business on relationships whatever you want who are those three and why
1: Hmm. Hmm. Three only?
0: Three. Yeah, try to get it down to three because these are people that would be your most important, your most valuable.
1: Oh man, this is tough. Um...
0: They can be living or dead too.
1: Hmm. Man, that's not fair. Okay, Uh, okay. Um, Everybody
0: struggles with this question, so it's good.
1: Because there's two. There's like I want four. Can I have four?
0: Choose four. Okay. There you go. Thank you. I got it. All
1: right. Um, The love of my life. My my robber. Okay. um, Good name. He's a great name. Um, He is like my my constant, my great. sounding board he keeps his ear to the ground on a lot professionally as well so he brings a a great perspective to a lot that I do and a lot of the big decisions that I make Uh, my mother the same keeps her ear to the ground and also has you know 30 plus more years experience than I do um, on this earth Um, but who's also the one who understands me the best um, and the one who can direct me the best and who can Understand me without even the exchange of words.
0: Yeah. So she's the second. Okay. Um, Mom, Robert.
1: A, yeah, this is in no particular order. Okay. Um, Elon Musk.
0: Okay, Elon.
1: Um, because innovation requires big, bold, crazy ideas. He's definitely that. And he's, and I'm curious to know how he, I actually would want to know from him most. Um, not about how, who he is in the personal world and the, his personal time. Um, or any of the kind of interpersonal characteristics of, of him. I'm so much more pro- uh, curious about his process of taking his big, bold ideas and qualifying them. Because yeah. I know there's a lot more that he has that, that we don't even know about. Right. And then what steps he takes to assemble his teams, how and why. And mm. how does he identify people who have likely never done what he's a comp- trying to accomplish. How does he know that these are the people that can help him build something that's mm. ever been built before? So I'm really, I would love to know that because a lot of great companies waste time trying to come up with the perfect team. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you never really come up with the perfect team because half by the time the great ones are there, and they've worked through the kinks. Yeah. They've, they're on to the next thing. And I don't think a such a made, thing right? exists,
0: so. by the way. If you, just my quick theory: there's no such thing as a perfect team. It's the perfect team for your situation at that time.
1: But it's so hard to create, right? So if you're doing something that is an adaptation of something that's been done before, it's easy to cherry pick from other places sure. who you might want. But what is what happens when you say literally, "I want to send people to the moon"? Like, who did you call? Did you call the? Did you did you? Okay, you called the aerospace guys. Great. Or you called NASA, but how many NASA people did you feel you needed? versus car people who had built you know engines versus i don't know maybe somebody who worked on the Concorde back in the day versus you know um the person who just works in aviation generally versus the person who knows about hot air balloons versus the you know i don't know like i'm curious like how many people did he feel he needed to start this idea did he need a core team of three or a core team of 30 or so i'm just curious Mm. about how he vets qualifies ideates builds and iterates okay and the fourth um, again, in no particular order, uh, would be Michelle Obama. Oh, that'd be a good one. <laughs> she is um, She's an incredible woman. Yes,
0: yeah, she is. But
1: she's an incredible businesswoman. She's an incredible advocate. She's an incredible spokeswoman. She's an incredible citizen. She's an incredible um, equalizer. She's an incredible wife. She's an incredible mother, incredible daughter. I mean, she is... She is a ten in every pillar of what.
0: And talk about handling grace. She knows how to handle grace under pressure because woo, she puts mean, a lot. I mean,
1: she is just a class act. Have you met her in person? I have a few times. Yeah, yeah.
0: She's a, she's you didn't scroll powerful. through
1: my Facebook pictures, did you? I, I probably did. I do my research. <laughs> she was my profile picture a few times over. Me and Michelle.
0: Yeah, oh, Michelle me was and great. Me
1: and our forever president. Me and yeah. Yeah. Um, so those would be my. Those would be my four. Thank you for allowing me four.
0: No problem. What's an important truth you hold that most people would disagree with? These are all meant to be hard questions at the end, because oh, I want to.
1: Goodness, a truth I hold that most people would disagree with. That there's a right way to do anything. I don't think that there is a right way to do anything. I think that every. I think that every single thing that we might want or desire in life or career can be accomplished and achieved through untraditional methods and and paths. And I think that everyone can very much create their own leverage in a situation. Um, So that's probably the myth, is that a lot of people think they don't have the leverage to create.
0: Which um, makes sense why your book is called what it's called.
1: (laughs) The path redefined. (laughs) Yes,
0: it makes sense. It aligns with that. All right, final question. You have a billboard. We're in New York, so people still do billboards in New York, but most places they don't. Sometimes I tell people it's a Google ad, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It represents your belief, your saying, in life. What does that say and why does it say that?
1: Is this about business or about personal?
0: It's whatever. This is your this is your mantra. Whatever you want to call it. Business is personal.
1: Um. Hmm. This is good. I guess that's why you don't send questions in advance.
0: This is exactly why I don't um,
1: <laughs> It would say my mantra would say always welcoming change without fear Um, believing accepting, manifesting innovation in people places and communication Um, giving back Ooh, this is tough. This is okay. really hard. Um, and it would say the power is in the philanthropy after all the work is done.
0: All right. Well, that's a good way to end it. Path redefined. Laura <laughs> Milan, thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was fun. This was great. Yeah.